text for the sermon this morning is 1 Thessalonians 3, the verses 11 to 13. 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 to 13, a prayer of the Apostle Paul. And there he writes the following. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And make, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So far the text. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, boys and girls. In the first sermon on the series on 1 Thessalonians, some time ago we saw how the Thessalonian believers had received the gospel with joy, even in spite of uh, being persecuted for that, it truly being good news to them. And the apostle Paul gave God thanks for that. It was a, a wonder that they accepted the gospel the way they did because it brought them an awful lot of affliction too, trouble. But that shows that that joy was also joy from the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just a, an emotion, but it was deep joy worked in their hearts by the Holy Spirit through the gospel. And that brings the apostle to his knees so that he gives thanks to God for that joy. But that wasn't the end of everything yet. There are believers there in Thessalonica. There's a, there was a church in Thessalonica. And that's reason for that thankfulness. But that doesn't mean that everything is now hunky-dory and um, it's all signed, sealed, and delivered. No, that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning. Now there has to be growth. There has to be growth because it's one or the other. Either it's shriveling away or it's growing. Can't just be in between. That's not the way a plant is. It either grows or it, it dies away. Paul looks ahead and he realizes that there's lots of reason for prayer yet for, for that growth. Continuous renewal of life. For joy in the gospel to be able to continue for joy and love, there has to be growth in faith. And that faith is then manifested in the deeds of love. Faith in Christ is a power in a believer's life which brings him or her to, to love and good deeds, as it says elsewhere in the Bible. And that's what the apostle prays for in our text in the third chapter of this letter. And I preach to you the word of God in that text. With this theme, then, the apostle prays that the faith of the believers may continue to grow. The apostle prays that the faith of the believers may continue to grow. And he prays for three things. Opportunity to sow the gospel. He prays for the growth of the fruit of the gospel. And he prays for the harvest of that fruit of the gospel. So first, the apostle praise for opportunity to sow the gospel. 
Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, you might recall from Acts 17 that the apostle had only preached in Thessalonica for a short time before he was spirited off to the next city, Berea, at night because the, the lives of the apostle and the others with him were in danger. However, in that short time they were there in Thessalonica, people had believed, come to faith. A church had started, probably a house congregation or so. It started there. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, good things were happening there. Paul heard about that through others. And that's, that's also why he was so anxious to go back to Thessalonica himself. And he writes, he writes about that in, in verse 10. Night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your faith, face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now that, that last phrase might seem a bit strange. Perfect what is lacking in your faith. What was lacking in the faith of those Thessalonians? They were believers. They were joyful even in affliction. Right? Well, Paul didn't doubt that their faith was genuine, but he knew that it needed to grow. Those Thessalonians needed more knowledge, for instance. Knowledge. They had only known the, the gospel for a short time from the mouth of Paul. They had the Old Testament, but they had only known about Christ for a short time. They needed more knowledge about him. In order to continue and grow in the joy of faith they experienced when they first accepted the gospel, they had to know more about those three things that are mentioned in the Heidelberg Catechism. Sin and misery, how are we delivered from our sins and misery, and how exactly we are to be thankful for such deliverance. You see, the more you understand about those things, the gospel, the more you see the immense grace of God, the more robust your faith grows, the deeper your joy in the gospel, the more confident your life of faith, the more love. Imagine, congregation, that you only had a few weeks of Bible or catechism instruction in your life and that was it. What would you know about the Bible? Just the very basics yet. I fear that your faith would be, you know, it would be severely tested. You'd become pretty confused about it all. You'd be in danger of drawing the wrong conclusions in afflictions maybe. Losing the joy of faith easily again. You know, so be happy young people for the opportunity to have Christian upbringing and education and catechism instruction to be able to study the Bible together. The Thessalonians didn't have all that in their background. And that's why it was such a wonder that a church had been established there and that those believers were so joyful in their faith. That's also why Paul wanted to go to Thessalonica so badly. Don't forget, when they believed the gospel, they ended up becoming afflicted. Not easy to continue in faith in afflictions. Even for the, for the people who have always, from childhood, been educated in it. Not, not easy. And, and it could be that those new Christians began to think that the apostle also had kind of abandoned them in their hardships. They, they suffer there in Thessalonica. He's nice and safe somewhere else. You can imagine that some of them may have eventually come to, to struggle with those kind of thoughts. Well, 
to put a stop to those kind of doubts, Paul writes this first letter to the Thessalonians. It's a letter of encouragement and a letter in which the apostle also does his best to prevent them getting the wrong idea about him as apostle and preacher because that would undermine their confidence in the gospel. And that's why in chapter 2, as we read, Paul reminds them of how hard he worked in the short time that he was with them in Thessalonica. He and Timothy had been like, among them like a, a mother lovingly taking care of her little children, as a father encouraging his children. And even while they preached the gospel there in Thessalonica, they labored day and night so they wouldn't be a burden to anybody. It might seem as if the apostle is putting a feather in his own cap here. But we have to understand that in Greece at that time, there were, in Macedonia, there were all kinds of people who were proclaiming some religious or philosophical answer to life's problems in the city squares. And sometimes they got people to follow them. They got a bit of fame and eventually they could charge money for, for what they were saying. Some of those men got, got rich, people followed them. Peddlers of some kind of new gospel, as Paul mentions in one of his other letters. They were common in those days. We have them today too, don't we? They peddle their books and television programs and all kinds of things and get people to buy their, their products and they build up ministries worth millions. Well, Paul wants to make it clear to those Thessalonian believers he's not one of those peddlers of the gospel. And that's why he reminds them of how he worked among them for the short time that he was there, how hard he worked. And he reminds, he reminds them how he and Timothy had been abused and, and whipped and imprisoned in Philippi before they had even arrived in Thessalonica. And you'd expect that after that kind of treatment in one place, you'd think twice about going to the next place with the same message, but not Paul and Timothy. No, they, they went straight to Thessalonica. They preached Christ there. And not because they wanted to get rich then. They went as apostles, as men appointed by God to bring the gospel. And that's why they came to Thessalonica. This was not a get-rich-quick scheme but they came as men sent by God himself to preach salvation. And that's why they had refused to accept money from the Thessalonians at first. They wanted to show they weren't there to make a quick buck like so many others in those days. And yes, it might now seem as if Paul had moved on just like those other peddlers of the so-called good news, but he wasn't trying to avoid going back, not at all. He very much in his heart wanted to be back there again wanted to go back to preach the gospel there in Thessalonica, to deepen those believers in the knowledge and in the joy of the word. But as he says, 1 Thessalonians 2.18, Satan stopped him. Satan stopped him and Timothy from returning there. Notice it wasn't the spirit who was stopping him. Satan. Satan was trying to prevent the sowing of the gospel. That's what he tries to do today yet, too. He's the same today. If he sees opportunity, he wants to stop it. We don't know how he stopped Paul and Timothy from going to Thessalonica. Maybe they were being stopped by threats or something like that. In any case, it was made impossible for Paul to go back there. And so he prays about that in our text. 
The apostle prays that God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ will clear the way for himself and the others to go to Thessalonica to preach the gospel there again. He, in fact, prays that all resistance to the proclamation of the gospel might be taken away and that that seed can be sown there, the seed of the gospel can be sown there in Thessalonica because there's not going to be any progress, growth. There won't be any fruit in the end unless seed is sown in the first place. The proclamation is needed in order for faith to grow for joy to last, for love to deepen. The preaching of the word is the means which the Spirit uses to work faith and growth in faith and in the fruits of faith in believers. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, do you seek the proclamation of the word? And have you prayed for that every Sunday too? Do you pray for that every Sunday? Did, did you pray for the proclamation of the, the gospel here today before you got here? That the gospel might be preached here so that what is still lacking in us might be supplied? So that the Spirit will work in your heart and in the hearts of your brothers and sisters and all who hear the gospel today through the opening of the word? Because that's how the Spirit works. That's the only way He works, through the word. Remember how we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism that God will give His grace and Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask Him for these gifts and thank Him for them. We come to the second point of the sermon. Paul prays for the growth of the fruit of the gospel. So, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, after Paul prays that the way may be cleared for him and the others to come and preach the gospel there in Thessalonica again, he also prays in the next verse of our text that the Lord might make their love increase and overflow, be abundant. He prays that through the proclamation of the gospel, there might be growth in the fruit of the gospel. Now, the greatest fruit of the gospel is love. Love is one of the most important marks of the church of Jesus Christ. Because after all, every Sunday you hear the proclamation of God's love for sinners. That's the gospel. Sinners like us, he so loved us, he sent his one and only son into this world to offer himself for us and to redeem us from eternal darkness. God is love. That's the most important characteristic of our heavenly father. And he wants that to be our most important characteristic too, if we're going to be renewed in his image. And therefore, love like his, self-giving, forgiving, unconditional love, that should also be obviously, that should mark his children here on earth. Think of that wonderful explanation of love, 1 Corinthians 13. These three remain, faith, hope, 
and love. But the greatest is love. And that love is not just, you know, just a feeling. It's activity. Love is activity. Love has to become visible, otherwise it, it, it can't be love. Think of what John writes, 1 John 3, 16 and 17, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? That love, and that love, you know, that love which is an activity that just doesn't come by itself. The Spirit wants to work that in our hearts through the gospel. Then also wants to water it with the gospel. So it grows. And then it also, on our part, takes passion and effort. When we hear that, on our part, activity. Especially in a congregation like the one in Thessalonica, for instance. Remember, there was persecution for the faith there. Imagine that one of the brothers there ended up in, in jail for the sake of the gospel. You might wonder, what would happen to you if you went and visited him in jail? You wouldn't probably be received too well by those in authority. Maybe you'd end up with him in jail. You wonder about the consequences to yourself. And that makes, those consequences make it hard to show love because we're worried about the impact on us so that we hold back. And that's the case not only when there's persecution, but also when there's freedom like we enjoy here today. We're sometimes inclined to wonder about the consequences for ourselves if we help a brother or sister reach out. What will they say? What will, they, what will I look like in their eyes? And if the consequences are, are too big or we're, we fear negative consequences or if it's going to cost us too much, we have to give up too much, then we're inclined not to show love in action. Or maybe we're just too busy with our own family, our own house, our own business, ourselves, and we, we don't just think of the other people. Everybody has different gifts and abilities, but love is a calling for everyone who hears the gospel, not just for those others over there. How come they don't love? And how come they don't show more love? But you! What about yours? Your love? The love you show? And again, that, that kind of love doesn't come to us naturally. There are all kinds of impediments and excuses for us to show, show love. What's needed is the gospel Regular listening to the opening of the gospel. Believe it or not, that's the way it works. That's what, what alone can water the seed so that, the, that it grows. And prayer, as we mentioned before, fervent prayer that you may grow in love. Not just the other ones grow in love, but you too grow in that love that you may even abound in love, as it says in the text. And the idea here is of overflowing with love. 
And congregation, if we listen carefully to the gospel of God's love and we pray constantly that we may grow abundant in that love, if we do those things, then we'll see opportunities to love too, to come bring that into action. Our eyes will be open to each other's needs, our own shortcomings. We'll see them and fight them to show love and we'll, we'll see each other's needs too and, and be sensitive to that. And then we can bring it into action in all kinds of practical ways, even small ways. But we have to listen to the gospel of God's love and pray for that love first. That is the motivation. That has to water it. And we'll be surprised if we do that, that that also only has good consequences for us. Because there's something else here. Paul prays in the text that believers increase and abound in love, not just to family members and brothers and sisters in the Lord, but to all, he says. To all. That it abounds to all. There's lots of room to grow in love for people outside the church, too. Even for, for people who aren't friendly to us. Our enemies. And that's the hardest of all. Think again of those New Thessalonian Christians. All meant for them, people who were persecuting them. Paul prays that they may even love those who afflict them, just like the Lord Jesus Christ did. He prayed for forgiveness for those who were nailing him to the cross. See, a church in which all love and activity is just focused inward, a church like that isn't going to match the picture which the Bible gives of the church of Christ. We also have the task to those outside. We're called to show love to people outside the congregation too in word and deed and in action. It's good to encourage others in the community with some words from the Bible. And we don't do that easily. We don't even do that easily within the congregation. I'm praying for you. Look to the Lord and he'll give you the strength you need. Let's learn to, to do that, brothers and sisters, boys and girls. Do it more and more. Encourage each other with God's word. That's love in action too. And love in action is also to correct. The Apostle Paul did that too, to correct. He mentions being like a father. He corrected them too. Be honest. He points to what he did in our text when he first came to Thessalonica. There were brothers and sisters in the Lord there. He simply, there were no brothers and sisters in the Lord there. He simply proclaimed the gospel to strangers. He showed love to people he didn't even know. He didn't know very long. He learned, you know, he learned to do that over time. We need to learn it too. As congregation which confesses the infinite love and mercy of God towards sinners like us should be natural that that love will increase and abound in us and radiate out from us as it's watered by the gospel. So brothers and sisters, boys and girls, give lots of love to others here and elsewhere. Don't let that, don't let what it, what it costs you to, don't let that hold you back. And if you lack the strength, think back on the gospel, hear the gospel and pray. 
You see that, you'll see that you're not going to get any poorer from giving love. You only get richer. That's a funny thing. The more you give away, the, the, more you, the richer you get. That can only happen in the church. That's a wonderful effect of abounding in love towards others. The more you, you give, the more you're encouraged yourself. You become more and more convinced of the truth and power of the gospel. And the opposite is true, too. If you hold back, you know, and it's all just about you and yourself and, and me and I, then you're going to experience less and less of God's love going out to you, too. I read recently about someone who was frustrated at not experiencing their faith. And the answer somebody gave them was that they need to show love. And then they will experience that God and his love are real. We come to the third point. Paul prays for a harvest of that fruit of the gospel, a harvest. In the last part of his prayer, verse 13, congregation, Paul looks ahead, far ahead. He puts the whole prayer in the perspective of Christ's return in glory with all his saints. The Thessalonians are on the way to the day of Christ's return. And the knowledge that he's coming again influences, is going to influence how they live now. That return of Jesus Christ, his second coming, is one of the major themes of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. He mentions it in every chapter of this letter. Also, two Thessalonians. Everything he writes, his thanksgiving, his exhortations, his prayers, they all stand in the context of Christ's return in glory with all his saints. The gospel was sown there in Thessalonica, and Paul wanted to sow it again. You read it, there had to be ongoing proclamation of the word. There was growth, and there was room for more growth and prayer for growth in faith and love. Those things don't just stand by themselves. No, it's all to work toward the final harvest. That's why the seed is sown in the first place, and also the growth comes out of that. It's about the harvest. One day the Lord Jesus Christ will come for the harvest, and he will bring his own into his perfect and eternal joy. But the scythe in and bring his harvest into his barns. That's where every church of Christ is headed. That's why we're here. That's the reason the gospel is preached here every Sunday too, Sunday after Sunday. That's the ultimate goal of it all, that harvest, the return of Christ, the fullness of his glory and joy, and his people with him. And if you really believe that that's your destination, if you hope in that, that perfect glory and joy of the Lord, then it cannot be, if that's real in your heart, that it's going to affect how you live now, how you speak, even how you think. Then you're going to you're going to struggle to put out of your life whatever does not fit with that destination. Right? 
like a pilgrim who throws aside what he doesn't need on his journey so he can make it, make progress. He looks at where he's going. He longs to be there, safe arrival, and will we'll never become perfect in this life, sure. The apostle doesn't expect that. It's all about the direction you're heading here. Or as we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism, with earnest purpose, you begin to live not according to some only, but to all the commandments of God. That's your desire. It's the beginning of eternal joy that translates into obedience and love that translates into obedience to God's will. And we'll stumble often as we move ahead. But the point is that if we hear the word open every Sunday again, the Lord will give us growth and help us to keep that destination in mind and we learn to stay on the road to that destination, the harvest of the Lord. The gospel reminds us time and again we have to ask humbly for forgiveness, hold on to Christ every day as we head toward that destination. Watch and pray, said the Lord Jesus Christ. We can live now already in the assurance, too, then, that one day, then all the struggles will be over. It's going to be finished and done with. And we won't need to ask for forgiveness anymore. When the Lord Jesus returns in glory with all his saints, he'll do away with our sins and sinfulness forever. And all the effects and consequences of sin and the brokenness of it all. What is left then is everlasting joy and peace. Our joy in Christ, which can now so easily be thrown off, will become perfect, endless joy. And that love, that love will become perfected too. We can't even imagine what that would be. Perfect love. The thing is, we have to keep listening to the gospel of God's love in Christ. We have to pray constantly that the Spirit will make us abound in love through hearing that gospel. And then he will also keep us blameless and holy and ready for the coming of Christ when he brings his people in his glory and joy. Amen.